Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 381 of the Juice Box Podcast. On today's show, we're going to be speaking with Brent. Brent has had type 1 diabetes for 20 years. He's been married for a long time, and he's got three kids. Brent's progression with type 1 diabetes has been steady but slow, and it's really coming together for him. So he's here to tell you his story. In fact, this is Brent's story. Please remember that nothing you hear on the Juicebox podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. If you're looking for a terrific endocrinologist or have one that you'd like to share with people, please go to juiceboxdocs.com. And if you're enjoying the pro tip series of the podcast and like to share that with someone, or if you're looking to see the episodes all in one place without using your podcast app, you're looking for diabetesprotip.com. This episode of the Juice Box Podcast is sponsored by the Contour Next One Blood Glucose Meter. Please visit contournext.com forward slash juicebox to learn more about the Contour Next One. There's so much information at this link, I don't even know where you'll begin. But where I'm going to start is by telling you about Arden's blood glucose meter. The Contour Next One blood glucose meter is incredibly accurate and cheaply priced. It's actually possible that the test strips purchased directly with cash could be cheaper than what you're paying through your copay with your insurance company. Wouldn't that be interesting? Hmm? Check it out. While you're there, you're going to see all of the Contour products listed right at the top. There's resources such as downloadable logbooks and the Contour Diabetes app that works in conjunction with the meter. That's available for Apple or Android. It's even possible that you could be eligible for a free Contour Next One meter. Seriously, you got to go click around on those links. There's a test strip savings card there. It's worth picking around and learning about everything, not just about Arden's meter. But if you're in the market for a new meter, I can't say enough good things about the Contour Next One. It's absolutely been the most accurate meter my daughter has ever used. I'd also like to direct your attention to touchedbytype1.org. It's a great diabetes organization doing wonderful things with people living with type 1 diabetes, and they'd love it if you check them out on Facebook, Instagram, or at touchedbytype1.org. My name's Brent. I live in uh, Payson, Utah. Uh, it's a town about an hour south of Salt Lake. Um, I have had type 1 diabetes for just a tad over 20 years. I've been married for a little over 10 years. I have three kids, two boys and a girl. Uh, my oldest son is eight. And my daughter is four and my youngest son is one, almost two. Brent, do me a favor. That um, cord with the with the the microphone. I try not to brush by it or let it touch your clothes. Okay. 
Okay. That's all. Otherwise, sounds terrific, and I appreciate you telling us about yourself. Uh, how how old were you when you were diagnosed? So I was uh, 17. Um, it happened uh, over Christmas break of all times. Mm. Um, I believe that was the Christmas break of 1999 to 2000. So I always just go off of 2000 since that's kind of an easy time to remember how long I've had it. Brent, you know what? It's funny. We all put so much effort into being worried about Y2K and what would happen to computers, and we should have been worried about what was going to happen to your pancreas. <laughs> yeah, I had no worries about Y2K. I <laughs> me either. Didn't but bother me at all. I do remember being in a number of meetings um, at my job, and I just kept thinking, I feel like we're making a big deal out of this, and the computer's just going to say, it's January 1st, 2000. Here we go. Uh, but... <laughs> Such an odd thing. Anyway, um, tell me about your diagnosis a little bit. Yeah, so, um, and, and you know, my memories kind of fade a little bit, you know, the older I get. But uh, I remember it being uh, a Sunday morning, um, pretty typical Sunday morning. Um, I'm, a, I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints growing up here in Utah. But anyways, you know, did my regular thing and getting ready for church and going to church. And while we were there at church, I remember a couple people saying, it looks like you're a little thin. And I I just brushed that comment kind of off. I didn't really think anything of it. And uh, uh, after coming home from uh, church that day, I was not feeling good at all. I just wanted to lay down and do nothing. Yeah. I was the kind of kid that, you know, wanted to be playing video games all the time or watching TV or, or something. But for some reason, I just wanted to lay down and do nothing. I was using the bathroom a ton during the night. I think I got up at least once an hour. But anyways, after church, uh, my parents had noticed that I was just doing nothing. And uh, we had a friend that lived pretty close by who was a doctor. So he came over and kind of checked me out. And uh, he uh, had told my parents that I need to go to the hospital. So we went to the hospital. I don't remember other much than checking into the hospital. And, you know, they ran some more tests and, you know, told me I had diabetes. I had really no idea what that meant. I think I spent the course of the next couple days or three days in the hospital learning about all I could and how to kind of manage it from there. Did anyone ever tell you what your blood sugar was at your time of diagnosis? I don't remember the exact number, but I remember it was over 600. So it was pretty high that's why you weren't playing video games whatever yeah (laughs) take it right out (laughs) why i was all right brad listen we've got to we've got to dig down on something for a second here because since you you listened through the entire show you said in like a month and a half so you're aware and i've never been able to put my finger on this yet but i ask every time to try to get closer to the answer why is the show so popular with mormons and why do they come on all the time? And, and like, you have to be the sixth or seventh, perhaps, 
Like, hmm. I, do you do you have you heard them as they're as they're talking? Sometimes people don't identify themselves right away. Sometimes I out them for having like forty three kids or something like that, and I'm like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> so, but um, is there anything about the community that's is diabetes more prevalent? That doesn't make any sense. But is that possible? I don't think it's any more prevalent around here anyways. I mean, I just, I found the podcast and it seemed really interesting, you know, listening to you and uh, how you uh, talked about your daughter, you know, finding out she had diabetes and no kidding. it was just really interesting. And it, it hit me because, you know, I've had it for, at the time it was only 19 and a half years when I had started listening, but you know, I've had it for 20 years and I've really not connected with a lot of other type one diabetics. So maybe it's the opposite. Maybe, maybe there's just nobody in Utah. So everybody there needs to find, am I, like, I might be the Mitt Romney of type one diabetes podcasting. It's possible. Is this not true? If you were to say that. <laughs> maybe. I, <yeah. laughs> I mean, I, I really haven't uh, listened to any other. Uh, just found this one. Yeah. I found this one and you know, it just. No kidding. Clicked right off. And I. Listen, I'm really thrilled. Liked it. I would like. Uh, people of all religions to listen i'm just telling you that you know it it just comes up so frequently i'm now wondering how many people i've interviewed who um who did not tell me <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> is it possible i've interviewed 306 people from the church i don't know <laughs> anyway i suppose it's possible <laughs> <laughs> so how did you find how did you find growing up uh and 20 years ago what kind of technology did they start you with um so i remember just syringes and vials is what it what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, I've used Humalog for most of my diabetes life. Um, that's what I used then, and I I think it was Humalin was what the other one was called, the right. long acting one. Um, yeah. Um, what was it? So I've your most. Parents- do your, did you, I'm sorry to cut you off. Did your parents jump in and help? Because that's a weird age at 17. Or did they do the like, he's a man, he'll handle it. Like, where where did that fall? And how did that impact you, how, however it went? So I do remember me handling most of it. I mean, my parents, you know, were they were there in the hospital learning about it just as much as I was. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I'm I was practically an adult. Yeah. So, you know, I just pretty much handled everything on my own, you know, short of, you know, setting up doctor appointments and insurance and that kind of thing. But, you know, managing the diabetes, I pretty much handled it on my own from what I remember. Were your your outcomes what you were looking for? Like, I'm interested how a 17-year-old, you know, 20 years ago with some syringes and some, you know, insulin we don't use anymore – like, was your health where you wanted it to be, or was that a constant struggle, or did it, was it not thought of that way at the time? I mean, I honestly don't remember too much about how I did way back then. Um, I will tell you this. So uh, later that summer, later uh, 2000, I got an early graduation gift from my sister also. There's this, uh, I think it's kind of a high school program, national, throughout the country. It's called uh, People to People Student Ambassadors. Have you heard of that? I have not, no. But it was coming Um, So what it is, yeah. 
Um, so what that is, it's a program that's available to youth, basically. Mm-hmm. And they go on a big trip somewhere around the world and experience other cultures. Okay. Um, and anyway, so that summer, my parents had bought my sister and I, well, we actually, you know, helped pay for it ourselves too. Um, we went into this program. Um, I think our particular group, there was about 30 or 40 youth and, you know, five or six adult leaders. Mm-hmm. And uh, we went to Scandinavia for three weeks. So here I am. I'm only six months newly diagnosed. I don't remember having any or not very many worries about my diabetes and taking, you know, all the supplies that I needed to go with me. Yeah. They had us keep a journal as part of the kind of the program. And I don't remember writing anything about my diabetes rather than just everything I was experiencing. Right. Well, is that because the insulin back back then what you were doing is you were shooting insulin a couple times a day at certain times and then making sure to eat at certain times. Is that about it? Yeah. So, you know, I was doing my normal mealtime boluses, if you will, mm-hmm. you know, take the insulin for meals. And then I was doing the Humulin, I believe, a shot in the morning and a shot at night. And how do you find like how you manage now compared to that? So how do you manage now? I have been using a pump since 2015, mm-hmm. uh, a tandem pump. And uh, I'm actually just got started on my second tandem pump uh, just this past November. So you were 16, 16 years on, in, on MDI? Yes, yeah, that is, that is correct. I did. Okay. I won't say I did great. And this might've been around maybe 2005. My blood sugars were, or my A1C, I would say was probably between 10 and 13. So, I mean, it wasn't the greatest. Right. And I wonder, I mean, I, I was also, the doctor I was seeing was just a family physician. So, he wasn't anybody specialized in diabetes. Mm-hmm. Um but it eventually turned to a point where he recommended me to a diabetes doctor. And I was able to reduce my A1C a bit with that. I think I got it down between 9 and 10%. So, I mean, that was a pretty significant improvement. Yeah, I mean, you moved it from what, like more like, and was it swinging around like 10, 11, 12? Like, or did you not check? How often were you checking it, I guess, is my question. I was probably only checking three times a day, I would guess. Your blood sugar three times a day. And did you go to an endo appointment quarterly, or was it not that frequent? Um, I mean, with the family physician, I think it might have been maybe every three to six months, so okay. maybe quarterly. Gotcha. So now you've listened to the podcast straight through. As you're listening, do you think, wow, the way people are doing it now is no it's just not close to what I was doing growing up. Did you have that thought ever while you were listening? I, I've had it a few times. I mean, it's understandable too. I mean, you know, that was 20 years ago. Yeah, so, I mean, things were a lot different back 20 years ago. Yeah, no, a million percent. Definitely blood sugar machines. I uh, 
when I was first started, I used a lot of one-touch machines. And the first one I had, thing was huge. And the test strip was huge. And it required tons of blood right. compared to the blood sugar machines today. Do you think that was that part of the impediment around testing more or was there just not an onus on testing more? Nobody was like you were testing enough for your doctor. I think I was testing enough for my doctor. Brent, what about for you though? Like were you like how did you feel with A1Cs that were that high? Was it an impediment? Did your body adjust to it? Is it something you look back on now and worry about? I mean, yeah, I do worry about it. I mean, obviously that's not a great A1C and and whatnot, but I mean, I'm still alive today. I really appreciate you being on because, I mean, the podcast is five years old, so you're talking to people who are mostly brought up around faster-acting insulin, you know, their carb counting, covering meals, you know, testing more frequently, wearing glucose monitors, that kind of stuff. And I think that people sometimes make the mistake of believing that that's just how it's how it is and how it's always been and you know like that's it and even today there are more people in the world with diabetes who have a story that's like yours than a story like theirs but then those people who are listening going oh my gosh like you know my a1c is in the sevens and i'm i'm always wanting to get it down and you, you know like i know what my blood sugar is all the time etc I think we all need to really remember that most people don't have access to good information, um, tools, and sometimes, you know, even, you know, the meters and the glucose monitors and the pumps and et cetera, even smart bands, you know, um, it's easy to like get caught in a bubble and think that this is how it is. But I think it's more the way you're describing, honestly. Yeah, it most certainly is. I mean, um. Yeah, sorry, I lost my train of thought no, there. Right. Um, I got you up early in the morning. What time is it there? Uh, it's uh, it's just after seven. I get up at five thirty oh, here because okay. I I actually start work normally at seven o'clock. Oh no, kidding! You work from home? Or are you? I actually work. I uh, commute. I've got about a half an hour ish commute. I appreciate you making time for this. I really do. Yeah. Um, no, I. I I felt this was pretty important, so I. Well, what did you ask? You asked. You asked for time off for this. I uh, just told him I was going to come in later. Oh, thank you very much. Look at this. This and is I'll the, still work my normal time. This is the level of dedication, Brent. I expect from everyone listening to the show. Just so you know, Brent <laughs> listened to all of the episodes. He didn't say, "Oh, I didn't think that one would be interesting." I don't want to hear that from you, people. Listen all the way through. And uh, if I need you to get up early to be on the podcast, that's just what you have to do. <laughs> Just kidding. Brent, what, what made it feel important to be on the podcast? I just, you know, I just wanted to share my story, you know, hear, you know, let the listeners hear kind of another, another story. I mean, that's what got me into this podcast okay. was hearing your daughter's story and, you know, the change in yours, your life, her life, your whole family's life, just, you know having another point of view basically yeah so did it help you more like spiritually like psychologically or was it helpful management wise or what did you ex- what what's happened after hearing all those experiences i would say all the above i mean it's you know i think i've 
try to get myself more involved with other type one diabetics since kind of even listening to this podcast. And, you know, it's just kind of helped me even reflect on myself and how I manage uh, my own diabetes. Where, where are you meeting people? Is it online or in person? Yeah, it's mainly through Facebook groups and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's kind of the, the main part. Um, I have some family that's uh, got type 1 diabetes and some pretty close friends that has it. But, you know, aside from that, it's mainly been just online. Yeah. Do you find yourself talking about it more since you've listened? Or have you always been kind of open and conversational about it? I've been pretty open about talking about it, but I think I I do feel like I have been more open to talking about my diabetes to people since I have been listening to the podcast. Okay. Um, that's excellent. Hold on one second. Arden is asking me a question. Um, okay. Let's see. Her blood sugar got a little low, and she's in class. She's trying to uh, – uh. she's treated already, but her blood sugar hasn't popped back up yet. And she's just like, my, I, my phone won't shut up. <laughs> so um, we're, she's had this very uh, interesting. Well, this is ridiculous. Solar people. You know what? Most likely. <laughs> and then all the info, everything I, I gave her as, you know, hey, try this or this. She goes, not right now. <laughs> so why are you telling me about the phone if you're not willing to? All right, listen, let's not try to make sense of children, I guess. Um, <laughs> uh so her blood sugars have just required less insulin for the last over a week now. And at first, I know everybody's going to laugh at me, but are, what is this? What is this? What the hell? So I don't have a January electric statement. That's not why they're calling. They're lying to me. Um, sorry about that. So her blood no sugars have been lower, and everyone's going to laugh because, you know, I... I always say, like, don't just say they're sick. I think they're getting a cold. But when Arden has um, certain kinds of illnesses, her blood sugar just is easier to control. She needs less insulin. It's always been that way. So when this happened, we just assumed that's what was happening. We started cutting insulin back, you know, the way we normally do. But it still wasn't helping. And she was, you know, still just lower, lower, lower. But she'd also kind of lost her appetite. So we thought, all right, and it made it even worse. You know, you couldn't. You know, she doesn't want to eat a whole lot. You know, you're trying to bolus. You don't really know how much to do. So her blood sugar has been a little up and down for the last few days. Uh-huh. And finally, last night, I thought, what if, so Arden just recently got an infusion of iron and uh, her, her ferritin level was very low, which happens uh. to me too. And it happened to her. So she'd been tired and run down and it had gone on for a long time and through the process of trying to diagnose this, we went through a lot of different things. One of them being thinking it was her hypothyroid medication because the symptoms of low iron and hypothyroidism so perfectly match each other that that made sense. So, yes, it you, does. You know what I mean? So we lost a lot of time and Arden spent a lot of time feeling run down. And now she's had the iron for a month or so and you can see her changing. Like she's got more energy She's not as tired. She looks better. You know, like all this stuff's happening. Right. But she doesn't feel perfect yet, which we didn't expect. And even the doctor that she saw 
who was a hematologist, told her, listen, it's going to take two to three months for you to feel the complete effects of this iron transfusion or, or in, uh, infusion, excuse me. And, you know, so in, you know, he told her like two more months from now, however good you feel, then that's how good you're going to feel from this. But I started wondering out loud yesterday with Kelly, is it possible that as her cells are dying off and regenerating, but regenerating now being built from building blocks that have the correct amount of iron and ferritin in them, that's how she's feeling better. But could that be why her insulin needs have been higher? Because Arden's basal rate is significantly higher than I would expect it to be. And it's not just like around food. Like you're a grown man. What's your basal rate? Um, it, it varies. Um, I mean, I have a, a schedule, but I think it's anywhere between 0.9 an hour to 1.3 an hour. Right. So my 140-pound daughter, who's 15, her basal rate during the day has been 2.6. Wow. Right? And so that's just a lot. And now, Yeah, that is. Yeah, so all of a sudden yesterday, I was like, oh my gosh, this isn't a thing maybe that's going to go away. Like, we're going to have to adjust to this maybe forever, and let's try so I pared all of her settings down pretty significantly, had a lot of success overnight. But of course, this was my first daytime with it. Um, and she got to school and it's just, you know, it, it, it was doing great, doing great. And then all of a sudden it dropped down and now it just does not seem to want to move again. So um, that is the Yeah, place. that's interesting. Hold on a second. So I'm going to get her to test and we're going to check it out. Not, okay. you know, who knows? I could end up being wrong about this. And three days from now, her blood sugars might go right back to the way they were. I don't know, but it's a significant difference in the amount of insulin she needs. Like significant. Yeah. Well, hopefully she gets her numbers back to where they should be. And hopefully the, you get that figured out. Yeah. I appreciate that. I do. Um, yeah, so, of course. So, so how do you find pumping versus how you were doing it for so long? Cause I'm, it's very, it's very much interesting to talk to somebody who basically lived a lifetime, not using an insulin pump and now uses one. I love it. I will say that right off. It's great. And I don't know how I lived without it. <laughs> um, so, uh, back in, uh, 2015, uh, that's when my daughter was born. Okay. And, uh, she had some complications with, uh, being born. Uh, that year, and she ended up being in the NICU for 18 or 19 days, which, you know, that's traumatic in itself. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, towards the end of the year, I had started researching pumps, what pumps I want to use, which one I think is going to be the best for me. Um, I should say a few years before that, um, I ended up switching doctors to a, another one up in Salt Lake uh, who has type 1 diabetes himself. And uh, I actually still see him to this day. Um, he's the best. Um, I, I think it's, you know, if you can find a doctor that has type 1 diabetes himself, yeah. I don't know if you're going to get any better than that because they have a they understand everything. They have a different perspective than somebody who doesn't, if that makes sense. No, of course. 
But anyway, so 2015, I had researched a few different pumps. I had even considered Omnipod. And I think I was considering another Medtronic one. Um, but I finally emailed my doctor and saying, here's what I'm looking at. I'm looking at this Medtronic pump. I, I think I was really liking it because it talked with my uh, glucose meter. I think it was the Contour Next One mm-hmm. link or something. It talked Bluetooth with it anyways. Anyways, I emailed him. He actually recommended that I also look into CGM. And I actually hadn't even heard of it, which was uh, quite interesting, I guess. Well, you had no contact with people with diabetes, right? So yeah. you wouldn't have heard. I mean, I didn't really know anything. I mean, I knew what an insulin pump was. Yeah. Um, but um, he recommended two pumps for me. He had first mentioned the Animus Vibe, which I don't think is even yeah, that's available anymore. That's because it integrated with Dexcom's CGM. Oh, and the first thing he had told me is he wouldn't recommend me doing the Medtronic thing because their CGM, he says, wasn't very good. He outright said that Dexcom is the best. Right. And, you know, his opinion kind of, kind of changed my mind pretty quickly just because I trusted him and I knew him pretty well. Right. Um, the other pump he recommended uh, was the Tandem... T-Slim G4 at the time is what it was. And it was going to be integrating with Dexcom soon. Um, and that and that's the pump that I chose, ended up using. So I've been with Dexcom since G4. Yeah, because that Animus vibe, how did that work with the G4 back then? Did they act they didn't actually speak to each other, did they? Or or they did it. Oh, you know what it was? You could see your CGM data on your pump. Is that right? Yes. But it yes, wasn't, that's correct. It wasn't telling it what to do, like a closed loop or like a, no. an algorithm or anything like that, right? No, nothing like that. Um, I believe you were required to calibrate every 12 hours, I believe. That's how I remember it, too. Um, but yeah, it, the pump didn't do anything based off any of the readings other than just showing you constantly what your blood sugar was, which yeah. was huge. I mean... Poking my fingers for 15 years, 16 years, or whatever it was. Got a little old. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, my fingers were pretty calloused. <laughs> so you were, you're like, you probably had those fingers like you saw, like people see sometimes online, which, you know, more newly diagnosed people don't know from, but those hard bumps all like everywhere because you're constantly looking for space on your fingers. And eventually, after years and years and years, they just don't heal as quickly. And it's, it's stark, right? Like you can see it when you're looking. It, yeah. Can I ask how that, how did that affect tactilely, like touching things and lifting things? Did it have an impact on that? I didn't seem to notice too much. Um, I, I don't know if this was the right thing to do, but I would sometimes take fingernail clippers and try and kind of clip away the callus a little bit take them away you're doing your own uh landscaping there on your on your diabetes <laughs> yeah I, I did that every once in a while i don't know don't worry brent we will cover that with a nothing on the juice box podcast is considered advice at the beginning <laughs> so 
That's funny. It worked, right? Hey, I guess whatever works, right? Diabetes is a lot about, you know, making adjustments on the go and sort of, you know, being your own MacGyver and figuring things out, you know, for yourself. Yeah. If yeah, you and, tell me you know, two more things that you made up during this episode, you're going to be the Mormon MacGyver, just so you know, on the uh, <laughs> on, on, on the episode. Uh, <laughs> so, hey, listen, tell me a little bit about having kids when you have type 1. It didn't really bother me at all. I mean, I didn't really think of it much. I mean, I know the symptoms. I know what to do if, you know, we we find out things. Um, luckily, all three of my kids are, are – uh, not type one diabetics. Um, but you know what, if they were, I'm not going to love them any less and I'm going to know how to help them. And, you know, I'm going to be able to basically coach them through it and that kind of thing. If they were, yeah, you'd have a leg up. You're kind of, if your children ended up with diabetes, it would sort of be like what you were saying about seeing a doctor who has type one. It's just an extra level of understanding. Yeah. Yeah. It's an extra level of care. Yeah, that's excellent. That's wonderful. Well, what are your goals now that you're pumping and you have a glucose monitor? What do you, like, do you have goals with your A1C or how do you think of it? Because you are coming from an old school idea of this. So I'm interested in in what you're doing now. Absolutely. I mean, um, I see my uh, uh, endocrinologist every quarter, still every three months. Mm -hmm. And we have a goal of keeping it well below 7%. And I usually do that pretty good. Um, my last A1C uh, was 6.7. Um, I have been as low as 6.3 before. Um, but, you know, just basically under 7% yeah. is kind of the, the goal with that. Um does it fluctuate greatly quarter to quarter? Uh, not usually. Um, it's usually pretty close between, I'd say it's usually between 6.5 and 6.8. Okay. And, you know, that's that's pretty good and definitely a huge improvement over when I first started. Right. Oh, no, my gosh. Um, yeah, I stay pretty consistently, pretty close to that. Um, the only exception was... Last year, when I was in between jobs, I didn't have a month of Dexcom. Okay. And it was just interesting to see how much it affected my A1C and blood sugar without having that for a month. Um, I think my A1C got to 7.5. Not horrible, but I mean, I haven't hadn't been over 7 for years. So you, you, you moved anywhere from a half to a full point just from losing your glucose monitor for one month. Yeah, the yeah. CGM, the Dexcom. What did that change for you, not having it? Like, do you remember that feeling of, like, what, what's going to happen to me? I'm losing my CGM. How do I go back to what I was doing before? Yeah, I was uh, part of some groups on Facebook and a, an app called Help Around, which, you know, it's type 1 diabetics, you know, trying to help each other, giving them supplies and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I was almost in a panic to try and find some supplies that somebody can give me. Yeah. Just because, you know, I hadn't been without a CGM for years. Right. And, you know, 
I didn't end up finding anything, unfortunately. I mean, I got some supplies, but they didn't end up working. Um, I even went back as far as trying to find some G4 supplies just so I could see you my anything. graph, you were just looking see for what anything. was going on. Listen, your your un- your unemployment story is much better than most people's. You're only out of work for a month. Um, so I wasn't out of work. Oh, what happened was I had switched jobs uh, February last year, and insurance would kick in until uh, I had been there ninety days. I see. And I had enough of my leftover CGM supply to last for um, for two months. Yeah. But then I had that third month where I wasn't going to go pay out of pocket for the supplies either. I had plenty of pump supplies, so I didn't have to get off of that, luckily. Can I ask you a question now that you've been through it and not asking you know, for your, your financial situation? But now having done it, do you wish you would have paid cash for the month? I wish I would have had the cash, the cash to pay for right, it. Right, right, right. But I mean, you know what? Living a month without it, I, you know, came down to I lived 15 years without it. What's a month? You can make it 30 days, right? <laughs> so, can you tell me a little bit about like your health and your, you know, how you physically feel? Do you do you have a comparison how you are living now versus how you were living then, and and how, the impacts that has on you? Um. I'm not sure that I really notice a whole lot of difference. I mean, I'm not very active in the first uh, place, which, you know, it's just something I never get you're around not, to. You're not running a marathon or something. But, but no. So, so you, so it's likely that you began at a higher A1C and kept it steady. So you, then your body adapts and you don't feel the higher blood sugar. Did you feel it when it was coming down when you made the changes yeah, I mean, I've I definitely feel my highs, and I mean, I I think I start feeling grudgy, you know, two hundred and above, and I can tell when I'm high without even having to look at my CGM. Yeah. I do because that's what I do because right. I look at it pretty often, um, and I can. Yeah, there's a big difference between high and low. I can definitely feel feel that. Um, you just said something I want to ask you about. You said you look at your CGM often. I was just speaking somewhere this weekend, and someone said to me, how do I stop myself from looking at this data all the time? <laughs> and I said, uh, I said, lower your high alarm, because then you won't have to wonder if your blood sugar is getting high. It will tell you. And then when you're not getting high, you won't think to look. So it made me wonder what your high alarm set at. Um, I have my high alarm set at 180. Ah. So anything above 180, I uh, you get, an, get alarm. an alarm. But prior to the alarms, you find yourself checking. I, I mean, I look at it fairly often. Um, so I look at it a few different ways. I have, it on, I have the app on my phone. Mm-hmm. Um, I have an iPhone. Uh, I also uh, use uh, SugarMate. I don't know if you've heard of that. I know SugarMate. I use a Mac app on my work computer, computers at home, so I can, up in the top, I can see what my blood sugar is, what it's doing. Glucogram? Is that what it's called? Yeah. Yep. Uh, I think it's a, a sugar make glance or something. Okay. Oh, okay. 
Oh, I know that one too. All right. Um, but I mean, I just have it everywhere. I have it on my pump. I, I just see it everywhere. I mean, I'm not sitting there staring at it. No, I understand. No, I understand. You're not. No, I get that. But what I my, do you do you see my point though that if you if you know the alarm's going to sound prior to it becoming a problem, then it then you just realize I'll hear the alarm. I don't need to look at it. It'll tell me when it gets there, and that I think that takes away a level of um, involvement. And there's also terrific research that says that the lower you bring down your high Dexcom alarm the lower your A1C will go because, and I, I'm going to say it here just so other people can hear it, but I know you've listened to the podcast already, but the sooner you react to a high or, or an impending high, the less insulin you need to stop it most of the time. When you use less insulin, you're less likely to have a low later, and you can bring a 120, for instance, back to a 90 quicker with less insulin than you can affect a 180. And so... It's sort of like a little effort up front to to lose all that other stuff, and it just it's a it's a matter of putting your effort in what I think of as a better place. But me, I'm not telling you how to live your life. It's just that's how I do it. Um, I don't know if you see any sense in that or not. Yeah, no, no, I I, I definitely do. Uh, it it does make uh, sense and whatnot. Um, uh, I know 180 is just kind of where my doctor and I have. Figure is a good spot right. to, uh, you know, to have the alerts and whatnot. Um, I keep my phone on silent at work, so it's not blaring no, off. It vibrates for you. And that kind of thing. And even at home sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, with my pump, I also get vibrates on my pump when it, you know, it's high or low yeah. as well. So, I mean, I have a, another uh, alert, if you will. Well, I'll, let me add one more thought to it is that if you if you as you bring the alert down you sort of will start using insulin differently in a way that you don't recognize exactly right and so eventually you don't find 180 anymore like i would tell you for certain that what most people considered a 300 to be that's what i consider 180 like that feeling you have when you see 300 is what i see that's how i feel at 180 because we so infrequently see 180 um, yeah. yeah, like a high blood sugar here would be like 160. And um, it's not because we're more involved. I actually think in a weird way, it's because we're less involved. But when we're involved, we're using more of the what you might consider to be the correct amount of insulin for the situation. And you only learn that through experience after experience. So I'm just here's what I'm telling you. Brent, I think if you move your low alarm to 150 for a month and then move it to 130 after that, the next time you get your A1C checked, it'll be a point lower. Right. I would definitely think that. And I would think you wouldn't look at your CGM as much a month or two after that. But that's just, that that's my guess out loud. Yeah. So, um, so I got, uh, my new tandem pump this last, uh, November. Okay. And, uh. It had it came with the basal IQ. I'm sure to you. I don't know if you shuts heard of that. The, shuts the basal off if you get low. Yep. Right. And so actually, uh, I just upgraded or updated my software uh, to control IQ just last week, actually five days ago. And this is a closed loop system. Uh, not not really. Uh, it doesn't have glucagon in it, but it's it's an algorithm. Yes. Yep. Yeah. So you know, if my blood sugar gets too high, it increases basal and. 
can even uh, deliver an automatic correction, an automatic correction bolus. Yeah. How are you finding that? Um, uh, it's going pretty well. I mean, is it perfect? Of course not. Nothing's perfect. Mm. I mean, my blood sugar still gets high a little bit sometimes, uh, and I'm still still learning it. You know, I'm only five days into it. It's a big adjustment. So, yeah, f- yeah, you're not going to have it in five days, that's for certain. Yeah, you know, I I would say, you know, give it at least a month to kind of start yeah, beginning you know, to learn. On Friday, this it's funny because you and I are recording this in, what, February. And in all mm-hmm. honesty, this might be out in August. But tomorrow I'm interviewing somebody who's going to talk about Control IQ, too. And okay. she's actually been using it longer. I think she was part of a study. Um, so she might have a little more insight about it. Um, but I think that, you know, I can tell you that from the algorithm stuff that we've done is that it's, you know, so much about the settings being correct so that the algorithm can can make good decisions. Right. You know? Yeah. I'm sure you'll find your way with it. Do you, do you have an expectation that it will bring your A1C down? Is that your hope or are you just looking to be less involved? Um, I'm hoping it's going to help with my A1C. Mm-hmm. Um kind of help bring that down um i mean not that i've been in a horrible a1c position but you know i've also looked forward to not having to uh manage it as well i'm it's kind of nice that it's got a little bit of automatic uh kind of control with it um i believe it states on their website you know that control iq um is helping to lessen the burden on managing diabetes. But it does not replace an active role in taking care of it. It's 100% true. That's my experience. And from everyone I've spoken to so far, if if anyone is expecting an algorithm pump to just make diabetes disappear out of your life, I'm afraid that's not what's going to happen. But it should for people with higher, like imagine, you know, past, you know, Brent from five years ago, having this thing slapped on him with a 12A1C and all of a sudden without really understanding anything else about diabetes, your A1C dropping, you know, five points into the sevens, that would be a, a an absolute, you know, miracle for you. And, yeah. and so it's going to be for so many of those people that we talked about, you know, at the beginning, people who just are not as involved with management um, and understanding, you know, the kind of the tools that, that help your blood sugar be lower and stable. And the other thing is, and I'm wondering even in five days if you've seen this, is it helping your variability? Are you staying more stable? I Yes, I have been seeing more stability and less spiking and that kind of stuff. Um, the last 24 hours, within the exception of the last 20, 30 minutes, mm-hmm. um, my blood sugar... Uh, has been pretty flat. That's lovely. Flat where? Where is it flat at? What number? Um, so uh, just in range, basically. Um, so I have two ranges. During the day, I'm 70 to 180, mm-hmm. and then at night, I'm 80 to 150. Okay. Yeah. Overnight's easier because you're not eating, I guess? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at least it shouldn't be. <laughs> Theoretically, um, right? <laughs> Yes, theoretically. Um, but yeah, it. I mean, the last 24 hours on my pump here looks really good. I mean, there was only one time where it went high for about 
10 minutes mm-hmm. and then it came right back down. So it went over, it went over 180 for you and it got it back under again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think that was also some help with bolus too that I did on my part. I was going to say this thing's only manipulating your basal insulin, right? It's not sending boluses through. It can send an automatic correction bolus. Um, of what it calculates, it only, I think it, I'm trying to remember from the, the training video, I think it says it does up to a 60% of the calculated needed bolus. Okay. But it can only do that once every hour. Okay. That doesn't sound bad at all to me. No, no, it's actually really great. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does mainly adjust the basal rate. Yeah. Increase it or decrease it or completely stop it. Mm-hmm. Have you had any lows in the last five days? I have had some lows. Um, they haven't been horrible. Um, I think I've only gotten down to 55, the lowest. Right. So did you in the beginning think, oh, control IQ is never going to let me get low. I'll let me see what it does. And then you got low. Are you going to intervene in the future? I guess is what I'm asking. I mean, I knew it wouldn't prevent everything, and, you know, it can only do so much. Um, for instance, if I take way too much of a bolus and my blood sugar is dropping fast, right. it can only prevent so much. 100%. I mean, if there's way too much insulin on board, it's not going to be able to stop it all the way. Right. Um, the hard thing for me, and this has actually been true with basal IQ too, is not eating – well, I that's not true. I'm just basically like you. It's just been most of my life, actually <laughs> not eating one too many glucose tablets or, or that kind of thing to, yeah. you know, shoot you up higher than what you were hoping for Yeah, kind of thing. But I mean, the big adjustment with control IQ and basal IQ as well is, you know, that it's also working to bring, to help your blood sugar get up to that, to the, uh, area that you need to be mm-hmm. and it, it's hard to not want to just chomp and chomp and chomp down on stuff or uh you know juice box or whatever um so you don't go get too low is that a panic so, I mean, feeling or is that a physical feeling when you when you can't stop it's been both i mean you know when you start getting below 50 you start kind of getting that panic almost that it's like, I just need to eat sugar and sugar and sugar and sugar. And so I can get that right. up and that kind of thing. And then, you know, it goes the other way and then you kind of start taking more insulin to bring it back down into range. Yeah. But you feel like a physical need to eat. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. I mean, um, when I go low, you know, I feel, first of all, I feel just, different i don't know how to explain it to somebody that's not a diabetic um i had let me ask you a question i had i put up an episode just today with a a a girl named aggie and she's from hungary and she uh said she said that when she gets low her thoughts make sense in her head but when she speaks them they don't make sense to other people it is it's like she like she's not saying what she thinks she's saying, but in her, uh-huh. but in her mind, she's right. So she can't get her thoughts to come out of her mouth. Has that ever happened to you? Um, I don't think it's ever happened to me. Yeah. 
Um, I mean, I'm not saying that it won't ever happen. Um, but I mean, it's just, I kind of, I know, and I, I keep glucose tablets on me in my pocket all the time. So I always just, you know, had popped one out, put some in my mouth and, uh, it's, it's hard waiting for your blood sugar to go up too, and not to continue just chomping down on the, the, mm-hmm. uh, glucose tablets or whatever. There. Yeah. It's hard to wait. It's hard to wait. I, I actually, um, said in a, uh, in my talk this weekend, I was like, sometimes you just have to have the balls to wait. Like you just have to be yeah. able to just wait a little bit because if you do, and you're you know working off of your like don't get me wrong not the first time you're you're low but once you've got a historical knowledge of how this works and you've done the right things and you're looking at your data and your data is suggesting to you that this is going the way you expect it to that's the moment when you have to be able to say okay let me just stop for a second and let this let this be and see what happens for a moment yeah you know um, yeah. it's a tough it's a tough decision to make but it keeps you off the roller coaster and there's nothing more true than, you know, the, the thing that causes lows more than anything are highs. So if you, you know, if you don't get high, it's sometimes it's, it keeps you from getting low later. Um, and I don't think people think of it that way. Sometimes I hear your kids are milling around. Are they all up or just, yeah. Like- um, well, my boys, my eight year old has come down a couple of times. Yeah, I was figuring um, he wasn't going to make it much longer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He, he's got school in a little while too. Right, so right. I hope he's got enough. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, it's not your fault. You're busy. Um, Hey, listen, any more plans for more kids? Um, I think we're kind of hoping to still have one more. One more. Sure. Yeah. Four yeah. sounds, uh, um, four sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> Three's a lot of work, but it's worth it. <laughs> well, it better be worth it because if it's not worth it, what are you gonna do? <laughs> can you imagine? <laughs> can you imagine if you said to me, Scott, I have three. It's a lot of work, and to be honest with you, I don't think it's worth it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that would be sad. No, I think. Uh, yes, it would be sad. Yeah, yeah, no, I, 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 I agree with you. I, I, there are definitely days where I wish I had more kids. Um, at last night. I went into Arden's room where she was collecting her clothing that she's grown out of, and she's got a plan to sell it online, mostly because I don't think she wore it very often. And, you know, she's she's telling me about her plan to make money. I said, so you're going to take the clothes I bought and sell them for less money than I paid for them? I said, why don't you just not buy clothes and steal out of my wallet? Wouldn't that go quicker? Um, but but uh, but but she's I was looking at her, and I thought, that is a... a that's a woman standing in front of me, a young woman, right? Like, and I said, come here, give me a hug. And I hugged her and she's like, why are you hugging me? I said, you look older and I just want to hug you for a second before you look older again. So you're in a really sweet spot with your kids, eight, four, and one. I hope you, uh, I hope you enjoy all that because there's no, no, no bullshit, man. It goes fast. So, yeah. <laughs> I, I try to enjoy it. I'm not, you know, I have ups and downs. Yeah, yeah, please. <laughs> I had little kids. I know the downs. Um, that's amazing. I, they're so adorable in the background. You're gonna make people get pregnant, Brent, if you if you keep hearing that. They can't see what a pain your kids are. They just think they're adorable because they're listening to them. <laughs> uh, well, did we not? Did we? Is there anything we didn't say that you were hoping we would talk about? Um, it's funny. I actually like wrote out my whole story and tried to kind of figure out what I should talk about. 
Let me just look over some Thank of this real time. quick. This is lovely. I can't wait to hear what you wrote down that we missed. Um, but Brent, honestly, I'm not bad at this. We probably got to most of it, right? Yeah, no, we we definitely have. I I do want to say, you know, um, taking care of yourself is very important. You know, especially if you have a family and kids, you know, you want to be around as long as possible. It's important to kind of, you know, take care of yourself, uh, you know, do your best. Don't beat yourself up for not being perfect because nobody's perfect, even with the technology that's out there. Yeah, that's a damn good life lesson. And it's, I think, 100 percent true. I mean, I can't speak to it from personal experience, obviously, but. From talking to so many people, it feels like that it it wouldn't be difficult for diabetes to overwhelm you and get the better of you and start feeling like this is just my life. I can't do any better than this. And it's what's going to be is going to be. But I, I I really do think you can affect it. So um, and being positive about it is a uh, is a good first step. Yes, definitely. And an- another thing is be patient. Things take time to learn and that kind of thing. Um, I see on Facebook groups all the time people complaining about everything that goes wrong and whatnot, um, uh, both with you know Dexcom and Tandem stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, things happen, but a lot of the time they don't happen as much as... It looks like it does on Facebook. Yeah, no, Facebook is uh, to complain. It's not people don't pop on to go, oh my God, everything's going so great. Let me tell you about it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, I can tell you it was quite an interesting time on Facebook when uh, Dexcom had their outage a month saw, or two ago, I saw, whatever. I, saw, and I spoke about it too. It was interesting. Um, it was just so sad to see all the negativity out there. Mm-hmm. Right away. Everything. Yeah, this thing that's doing this amazing thing for me, you know, and not that you don't want it to do better and not that the company doesn't want to, you know, fill in gaps when it has them. But yeah, it's it's interesting to see how quickly someone can turn on you. You, you know, yeah. it's just, <laughs> it really does give you that feeling like, wow, I gotta watch my back. Because five seconds ago, I saw this little avatar with this name next to it saying, Dexcom is the greatest thing that ever happened to me. And three hours into the share not working correctly, which by the way, didn't mean the Dexcom wasn't working. The Dexcom was working fine. It was just, yep. it was the share function. And, yeah, it was uh, the share thing. Yeah, you might have thought that... Um, well, you know what? I heard less people upset when Australia was on fire. So, um, <laughs> seriously, you would think that would make people upset. No. Yeah. <laughs> now that's this is where this is where everybody gets upset. But now I hear you. So, so just really do your best. Why is the library book so much better? Now you're not going to think about having four kids. And so, um, <laughs> but yeah, do your best, right? And it takes time. Yeah, ha- sometimes you have to experience things going wrong, so you know what it looks like when they go right. You know how to make them go that way. It just takes time. Like it, it really does. Yes, it does. Yeah, not being dramatic and getting frustrated if you can help it is a big help. All right, listen, you go make those kids smarter by sending them to school. Um, I will. You'd be very happy. I didn't have time to ask you about your magic underwear because I still want to understand it better than I do right now. <laughs> And uh, uh, is that an insulting phrase, magic underwear? I'm assuming you call it something different. Yes, we do call it uh, something different, um, but I'm not, I'm not insulted by it. Listen, apparently it's not insulting because Mormons continue to come on this podcast. So I'm <laughs> feeling like I'm doing the right thing here. <laughs> I really appreciate you doing this, Brent. Thank you. 
Yeah, no, I really appreciate you taking the time to let me talk to you and share my story. 100% is my pleasure. Uh, I hope you have a great day, and uh, I'll let you know as soon as this is going to come out. All right. Yeah, I hope you have a good day as well, and uh, I will look forward to when this comes out. I appreciate that. Say hi to your family for me. Thank you very much. Uh, I will. Huge thanks to Brent for coming on and sharing his story, and of course to the Contour Next One Blood Glucose Meter and TouchedByType1.org for their support of the Juicebox podcast. There is a list of all of the advertisers in the show notes of your podcast app and at juiceboxpodcast.com. But you can go to contournext.com forward slash juicebox to find out more about this meter or touchedbytype1.org to learn about that great organization. Last thing, if you go to t1dexchange.org forward slash juicebox, you can add your voice to some wonderful type 1 diabetes research. And it's super simple to do. Right there on your phone, your tablet, your PC, from your home. You never have to visit a doctor. You never have to visit a site. It's completely HIPAA compliant. You can back out at any time if you change your mind. And it is 1 million percent anonymous. The answers you provide help people make good decisions about how to help people with type 1 diabetes. That's what your answers can do. Super simple. The ADA has made adjustments to their A1C recommendations for children because of T1D exchange. Test strips are covered by more insurance companies because of T1D exchange. The list goes on and on. This research does great stuff. You can support T1D exchange, support people with type 1 diabetes, and support the podcast. T1DExchange.org forward slash juicebox. The survey didn't take me more than 10 minutes to complete. Thanks to everyone for listening to the podcast and for sharing it with someone else. Two days ago, the show had its most popular day in the history of the show. It was, um, it was a day that I will not soon forget. The downloads were astonishing. And I, I very much thank you all for being ardent listeners and for sharing the show so freely. It means a lot, and you're helping the show to grow. So thank you very much. I'll see you soon with another episode of the Juicebox Podcast.